How many of you remember the man Jephthah? Anybody remember that name? Y'all remember Jephthah? Jephthah is an interesting character in the book of Judges. He was uh, one of the judges in, in that time period. And there's a lot we could say about Jephthah, but tonight I'm going to kind of just zoom in on one particular piece of the story of Jephthah uh, and just look at what's known as Jephthah's vow. Jephthah's vow. And so I want to, I'm going to just kind of read as I go. So I want to begin by by reading uh, verse 29 through 33 in chapter 11 of the book of Judges. Chapter 11 of the book of Judges. So I'm just going to read that first section. The Bible says there, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon that surely be <clears throat> shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aroer as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And so here we are with uh, in the book of Judges. We're, you know, as the cycle of the book of Judges goes, the 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 nation does what's right in its own eyes, and then God uh, allows through usually through neighboring nations to come and to conquer them. Sometimes carry them away uh, to to come in and bring distress to the nation, and then they will see the error of their ways, they cry out to God, and God sends them uh, a judge or a deliverer. And so this is one of those cycles. It's a little different than some of the others, but that's basically what's going on here. And so just to give you a background to get you to where we are in this text about Jephthah, I'm going to give you the high points, but you can read uh, verse 11 uh, up to this point if you want to later on. But Jephthah was from the region of Gilead. And Gilead, it's a, it's a region in Israel east of the Jordan River. And at this time in history, it was bordered on the northeast by Syria. And it was bordered on the east by the kingdom of Ammon and the south by the kingdom of Moab. And so Jephthah was a man who was born in this region of Gilead. And to, to give you an idea of who he was, Jephthah was really an outlaw okay that's really kind of what he was he was a he was a he was a mighty warrior to be sure but he was an outlaw and Jephthah Jephthah became an outlaw really it seems because of the way he was cast out from the other people in his area even cast out from his family see Jephthah was born of a harlot he was the product of a relationship between his fa his father and a prostitute and so he was cast out uh, by his family his half-brothers wanted nothing to do with him and so he goes out and he really becomes this this outlaw of, of some sense he was he was a raider he would he would go in and he would steal and he would do these things he would fight uh, battles but really he would do them all for his own enrichment but what happens is is there in Gilead some things begin to 
to come and uh, the the Amorites and others that they all begin to come in and and begin to do things to the people in that region and they begin to uh, lose you know lose their livelihoods they begin to have a lot of bad things happening and they need some help and they look around for someone to help them and the person that they find is Jephthah because he is this mighty warrior he was needed in fact the people came to him for help but as any good uh, man of his particular persuasion in that moment happened to be he took advantage and used it for his own good he didn't seem to have a lot of compassion for the people so he leveraged it instead of just saying yes I'm gonna I'll fight for you and I'll help you out Jephthah basically said this he said if I'm gonna do this you're gonna make me the chief and head of all of you and so that they, they agreed to that they said that's what we'll do and so then he begins to just kind of figure out what's going on there's a there's some communication that happens uh, there between him and the the king of Ammon and he Jephthah sent messages to him and and the Ammonites are trying to tell him oh we you should give us this because you took this from us and he says that's not true uh, you should have helped us way back when and you didn't and so God delivered you into our hands and our territory is what it is and you can't have it back and so Jephthah is now the leader. He's the military leader and in some sense the leader of this, uh, of this group. He's, and he is now we arrive here at this place where he's about to go out to battle. Time, the time of war has arrived. And Jephthah, the Bible says, he, he, it says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. And this is a, this is a good thing, but we've got to be careful that we uh, understand kind of the context of what that means in the Old Testament. There's many places in the Old Testament where the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone, but we shouldn't view that in the same way as we view in a, in a New Testament context, the indwelling of the Spirit. This is more of what you might say, the influence of the Spirit. Right? Jephthah is his movements, his direction, uh, it, it's going to be influenced by God. God's going to show him how he's going to carry out this warfare. But we don't need to uh, think that this uh, spirit of the Lord's influence carries into what Jephthah's about to do with this vow. The spirit of the Lord coming upon Jephthah is uh, directed at what he's doing in his military movements, gathering troops. Jephthah has done that. He's moved through the land. He's, they're gathering up troops putting them together, and they all muster together at Mitzpah. And after they've done that, Jephthah then makes this vow. And the vow is basically this, God, if you'll let us win this battle, when I return, whatever comes out of my doors, my gates, it'll be yours. I'll, I'll offer it as a sacrifice. This was uh, basically Jephthah saying, God, whatever I've got is yours. If you'll just let me have victory here. So Jephthah makes a vow. I wonder why he did that. Was it that he thought his forces were too small? Was it just kind of a divine insurance policy? I think it was really a false understanding of God's grace. You see, this was a man who was moving, at, at least at this point, before he makes this vow. And, and I would say even as he goes into battle, the Spirit of the Lord is with him. But in the middle, he makes this rash vow. 
I think Jephthah thought what many of us think at times when we're desperate. We think if we'll just make the right promise to God, we can get what we want. We think if we plug in the right level of obedience, we plug in the right prayer, we plug in the right whatever, that we're going to get out whatever we want out of a particular situation. Jephthah didn't truly understand, it seems, that he was uh, to do what God would have him to do. He didn't need to make a vow because God was moving with the people. He didn't have a good understanding, I believe, of God's grace. We've got to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. Sometimes we, we do. I know I do. Sometimes I, you ever, you know, just walking in a time with the Lord and things are good and you're living the way you believe God would have you to live and, and you're walking that path and then something bad happens and we've got the audacity to say, God, now why in the world would you let that happen to me? Hadn't I been doing this? Hadn't I been doing that? I've been being good to my wife and children. I've been doing good at my work. I've been, I've been sharing the gospel with people. I've been going to church. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. God, what's the deal? And we fail to realize that uh, God's the one who's in control. We don't bend God to our whim. So Jephthah makes this vow. He goes on to battle. And the Bible says that they won the victory. There at the end of verse 33, Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. He marches out, he advances towards them, it says in verse 32, And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them. He defeated all these cities. And don't you love some good biblical description here? He defeated them how? With a very great slaughter. Not just a slaughter, not just a great slaughter, with a very great slaughter. Redneck translation, he whooped them, right? He whooped them. It wasn't even a question. God was with them and they won a great victory. But Jephthah's going to come home now. And the rashness of the vow that Jephthah made is going to come to his attention very quickly. The Bible says in verse 34, When Jephthah came to his house at Mitzpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass that when he saw her, that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. So he wins the victory. He comes home and his vow was that whatever would come out of his doors, would come out of his gates, that would be was what he would sacrifice to God. 
Was this the cost of victory? Really? Did God require this kind of sacrifice? Was this vow something that God wanted Jephthah to make and wanted Jephthah to keep? I dare say not. God doesn't require us to make those types of vows. God, in fact, if we made that, made that kind of vow, God would never want us to fulfill that kind of vow because it flies in the face of everything that God has said before this. But interestingly enough, the, the, the text really tells us she pretty well accepts her fate. She goes on, she says, she wants to go bewail her virginity. The, the idea here is in that time that a, a woman was really thought not to have lived at all if she hadn't been married and bearing children. And so she wants to go lament and, and, and spend that time doing that. He allows her to do that. And it becomes such a, uh, such a sad state of affairs. It becomes such a, a dagger in the heart of the people in that area that it becomes a tradition for them to lament for her four days a year, the, the, the women of that area, the young women of that time. But she readily accepts her fate. Should she have done that? Verse 39 says that two months later, he fulfilled his vow. He offered his daughter up as a burnt offering. What, can, what in the world can we do with that? How can we see, because if you look at Jephthah, and Jephthah is accounted for even in Hebrews, he's, he's counted in the hall of faith, and so, so Jephthah's not somebody that we can just set aside and say, well, he was a completely wicked man that, that did only wicked things, and God just drew a, drew a straight line with a crooked stick. No, we can't, we can't set him aside in that way. But we have to look at this and say, is this, is this what God wanted? And I think, think we can say unequivocally, this is not something that God was pleased with. She's offered as a burnt sacrifice. This is no longer a rash vow. I would dare say that Jephthah's daughter was sacrificed on the altar of her father's pride and ignorance. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me share with you a passage of Scripture. And I actually don't have the reference written down. I just have it written in quotation, so I'll have to look it up. I'll tell you where it comes from later. But here's what the Scripture says. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. Jephthah makes this vow because I think it was a lack of faith. It was a lack of understanding of God's grace. He wasn't believing that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And so he makes this vow, and now it's going to come to pass, and it's going to be fulfilled. And his, the only way for Jephthah to keep this vow is for him to violate the express command of God in his law. Let me tell you something. This is where it comes down to. 
if you ever make a promise and the result, of, and you say, I make this promise to God that if this is the circumstance, I'm going to fulfill it in this way. If the answer to that promise to God is for you to engage in some sort of sin, I can unequivocally tell you that you should not fulfill that promise to God. You should repent for making a rash vow, for not understanding what God would have had you to do in that moment, and you can move forward. Sometimes we get hemmed in by our pride, and you may say, well, I'd never make a vow and then kill my child because I made that vow. But how many of us say, well, I made this deal with so-and-so, and yeah, it turns out there's kind of something not quite what it ought to be in the midst of this situation, but I said that's what I was going to do, so that's what I got to do. We want to lean on this, uh, you know, say, well, I kind of gave my word. But if your word ends up putting you in a place of sin, guess what? You shouldn't keep your word. You should ask for forgiveness for uh, promising to do something that you should never have promised to do. I I should never promise something that's so open-ended that the result of it could lead me to sin. You will never, ever obey God by sinning. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I've had on more than one occasion, actually if I, if I think about it, it's been at least two, possibly three occasions in my life of serving as a pastor and a counselor where I've had someone come into my office and sit down and say this to me, straight face, and they'll say, I want to tell you something, God told me that I've got to leave my husband, I've got to leave my wife, and I've got to go marry this person or that person told me that and they weren't kidding they weren't being facetious they thought that that they could get away with this God told me idea of operating in Christianity God just told me that and that's what I'm going to do God never told you to sin I can tell you that God never told you to sin does sin happen yes it does but God is not the author of that God didn't make you sin God didn't tell you to commit adultery God didn't tell you to uh to have a unbiblical divorce and to go commit adultery with somebody else that didn't happen and they say well I just know God told me to do that well I'm I'm here to tell you that if what you think comes in conflict with what God has said you're thinking wrong and we've got to have that kind of dogmatic understanding of the realities of the scriptures I got no problem with somebody telling me that that they have felt God leading them to do something. I know how God nudges and He moves circumstances and moves people into situations and circumstances that moves them in a certain direction. I got no problem with that. But I do have a problem with somebody saying, God told me and following it up with something that's absolutely unbiblical. If someone's going to say, God told me, they they better be able to back it up with what the Bible says. And this is, why, this is why the tragedy of Jephthah's daughter is so terrible. Because even if we wanted to take the extreme position and say, well, Jephthah, needed to, he needed to fulfill his vow because that's what he had said before God, which I think is an absolute wrong place to stand. But let's just say for a moment that's the position we want to take. Guess what? If he'd have known the Bible, if he'd have known the scriptures of his day, if he'd have known the law of Moses, he would have known that there was a way out even if he believed he had to fulfill that rash vow. Let me share with you from Leviticus chapter 27. 
And I didn't give them this for the notes, so forgive me for that. Leviticus chapter 27, where God is specifically addressing the topic of vows and things dedicated to God. Here you go. Check 27, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to pay particular attention to verse 4. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your, value, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels, and if it from 5 years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to 5 years old, then your valuation for a male shall, may, shall be 5 shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above it, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. He goes on to, to say, if you're too poor to pay that, present him before the priest and he shall set a value for him. What's he saying here? If you wanted to be released from a vow relating to a person, there was a price list. And here's Jephthah coming back from winning this battle with the spoils of war, this man who'd been somewhat of a, a bandit king. And even though there was no reason for him to fulfill this rash and sinful vow, if he had have known the, what the law of Moses said, he could have satisfied even his own pride. And he could have paid, we don't know exactly how old she was, but let's just say at maximum it would have been 30 shekels of silver and he could have purchased the life of his daughter. But he didn't do that. His ignorance of God's word cost him dearly. I think that's really what we learn from Jephthah. We learn we shouldn't be rash in making promises to God. Instead, in the New Testament, Jesus addresses it. We shouldn't worry about vowing by this and vowing by that. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Do what God says and leave it at that. Walk in obedience and leave it at that. We should know God's word. Because when we're ignorant of God's word, we are easily deceived by the world. And in Jephthah's case and in our case, we can be easily deceived by our own mind. One of the greatest enemies we have lives between our ears. That's the truth. You know it and I know it. And a man or a woman left to their, their own thoughts can justify just about anything. And I believe Jephthah carried this out because he was a man that because of his pride there was no way he was going to stand up and say that he was wrong we kind of talked about some of that this morning right owning what's yours what are the how much horrific consequence have you had have I had in my life because I said I'm not going to dare say that I was wrong in this situation I'm not going to dare stand up and own the fact that I that I have uh, made a mistake, and if I even if doing so would would make things so much better for myself and those around me, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to hold on to my pride and I'm going to follow this through to the end. As my old buddy used to say, he said, "When you're when you're dealing with the law, he said, just die with the lie." That's what he'd tell me. Just die with the lie, and that's not good advice. 
Because the more we hang on to a lie, the more we hang on to our own pride, the, the steeper the consequences become. But if we'll come before the Lord and, and ask for forgiveness, ask for wisdom, ask to, that He would show us how we would move forward, how much more peaceable would our life on this earth be? But we are prideful creatures. And so how do we fight back against it? Well, I think one of the ways we fight back against it is by knowing the Word of God. The Word of God tells us how we are to live. It shows us through the example of Christ how we're to live. It commands us with the commands of the moral law how we're to live. It shows us uh, example after example. It, gives us, uh, it tells us what we should not do. The more we know the Word of God, we, the more we understand. It's not so much that it's a list of rules. Yeah, that's there. It's what we talked about this morning. It's about the fact that if our heart is truly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, our desire will be to please the Lord. And we check our motivations and we check our actions against the measuring stick of what God has said. And so don't ever allow your pride to take you to a place that you don't have to go. When you can stand up and look at, look at the Lord and, and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ say, God, I have sinned. Please forgive me. Please help me. Give me wisdom. His ignorance of God's Word cost Him dearly, cost Him His daughter, not just His daughter, His only child. And I know what some of you are thinking because some of you are astute Bible students and I know what you're thinking. Hang on, Brother Russell. What about Isaac and Abraham? I know somebody was thinking that. What about Isaac and Abraham? Abraham was doing that. Why, why aren't you saying that Abraham was foolish for doing that kind of a thing? Well, here's the thing. God sent Isaac to the altar. Man sent Jephthah's daughter to the altar. You see, a sacrifice ordained by God is the only sacrifice that's sufficient. It's the only sacrifice that matters. A sacrifice that's ordained by God. And we know how that turned out. Abraham had, was being obedient. God was using that as a moment to test him and, and to picture the ultimate sacrifice, the substitution of Christ on the cross for our sin. But it was the, it was the command of God that sent this child of Abraham to the altar. Jephthah's daughter didn't, needed not to go. There was no need for her to end up where she was. There was no need for her father to make that vow. He and his pride and his arrogance placed her on that altar and took her life. This is, this is really what we see, and that's just popped into my brain over in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13, I believe is where I'm headed. What's he say there? We think about this as the love chapter, but here's what it says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What's Paul telling the Corinthian church? 
He says, you can do a whole lot of things that look spiritual. You can do a whole lot of things that look religious. But if they don't come from a heart that is informed by the love of God, then they are nothing. They're a waste of time. They're trash before God. We can give anything we want to give if it comes from a heart of pride, if it comes from a heart of, of self-centeredness, if it comes from a heart that wants to just do what we want to do. And, and I want to look the part, but I don't. doesn't really matter what I am on the inside. All that matters is what people think I am. If that's our heart, if that's our motivation, then it's a sacrifice that amounts to nothing. It must be informed by the love of God that comes through knowing God and walking with Him, obeying His commands, living according to His precepts. We are called to make a reasonable sacrifice. Paul says a reasonable sacrifice or a reasonable service. We were to give everything about our lives. One theologian has said that uh, salvation is the free gift that will cost you everything. And I think that's a good observation. Salvation is a free gift, but if we truly have salvation given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that, that it calls upon us to give everything about our lives over to God. To pick up our cross daily and follow after Him. To live a life of constant sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice ordained by God. If all I'm doing is laying myself out to be, you know, now I'm not throwing rocks at people that do these kind of things, but if you go like to Branson and watch those those plays, or you go to the Great Passion play in Eureka Springs and you see somebody uh, up there on a cross, guess what? They don't really have any nails in them. They're tied up there with a rope. And they're going to come down in just a minute. There's no real sacrifice taking place there. It's a show and it's a production. We know that. But how often is our life... We say we're doing things for God. We're trying to spiritualize things that we know we don't really have a spiritual, godly motivation for and say, oh yeah, I'm doing that all for God. When the reality is it's more about us than it's about anything. I laid Jephthah before you because he is somewhat of a confounding figure. He's somebody that we look and we see God's got some things to say about Jephthah and, and he's used by God and yet there's this 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 horrific thing in the middle of his life, but dare we say that the same could be said about us. What about you? What about me? What about me who was, who was walking with the Lord and made this decision, or you who was walking with the Lord and made that decision, and it just this horrific tragedies that have taken place in our life because of our own pride and our own choices? I think the lesson is that we're not going to send away the favor of God in that sense, but we're not going to be in fellowship with God if we're walking with wrong motivations. And if we continue to walk in wrong motivations, we need to check our heart before God. Let the mirror of God's Word show us who we truly are. And if we look into the mirror of God's Word and we all we see is ourself and our own self-righteousness instead of seeing Christ and Christ and Christ over and over again in Christ's work and Christ's love and Christ encouraging us to walk with Him and Christ being our sacrifice and the reality that grace has nothing to do with us, it's just a gift of God. If we look into the mirror of God's Word and all we see is self, we better make sure that we actually know Christ as we say we do. You can sacrifice a lot of things and attach the name of God to it, but only sacrifice truly ordained by God is that which is pleasing to Him. And mostly that sacrifice in the life of a Christian just looks like obedience day to day, 
day in and day out because ultimately the sacrifice that God ordained was that of Christ, which has redeemed us. And so we look to that, we draw our power from that, we draw our encouragement from that. When we're down, we look to it and we, we're lifted up by the reality that such a one would die for such as us. That the precious Lamb of God would lay down His life for a wretch like me. And so, consider Jephthah. A man used mightily by God for his own purposes, yes, but a man who made a rash vow and who lost so much on the altar of his own pride and his own ignorance. Let us not make the same mistake. Let, our, let us crucify our pride on the cross of Christ. Let us turn away our ignorance by pouring ourselves into God's Word so that we can walk in faithfulness and obedience and that there will be sacrifice in our life that reflects that of Christ and it will be pleasing to God and that uh, we'll be able to look to Him and he will be, He'll be looking upon us and see nothing but the shed blood of Jesus He will smile upon us in Christ's righteousness and we can live for His honor and His glory and no one else's. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. It's it's one that we don't look at much and I pray that we can learn to flee from pride. God, it's always there crouching at the door waiting for us. It's always there asking that we come down the, the, the wide road with it. Lord, I pray that you would let us see it for what it is, make it clear, help us to follow after you. Let us not lose effectiveness chasing after our own desires. Instead, let our testimony be that we were found faithful, that when we fell down that we looked to you. You weren't those that made rash vows and empty promises, Lord, but we leaned upon the promises that are true, and those are your promises. We looked to them, followed them, and because of that, uh, we, can, we can just say that uh, you were pleased with us in those times. And God, ultimately, you say that you're pleased with us eternally because of what Christ has done. We thank you for that. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.